Big, 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 big. Big is. Big pigs. They're not having it. The pigs are just like, just carrying on. They're not interested. Pig. Hello everyone and welcome back to What on Earth. We are an environmental podcast and we look at the past, present and future of different environmental issues to try and find out what on earth is going on and what we can do about it. My name is Sarah and I'm also here with Ross. Hello. Hello. If you missed episode one of this series, then go back and check it out after this. But for now, today we're going to be talking all about milk. Mmm, milk. That was nearly a cow noise. (laughs) Moo. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be talking about milk. We're going to be finding out about the history of dairy, the impact that milk is having on the environment, and then alternatives that will be better for the environment. We're going to find out what those are later. That's super interesting. I feel like a lot of people uh, discuss meat when we talk about sustainability, but not that many people talk about dairy in depth. Yeah. So I'm excited for this one. In depth. That's what we're going to do. Dairy in depth. So what's the plan? So I'm going to uh, hop on my trusty cow and we're going to go. <laughs> we're going to travel back in time uh, to about 7,500 years ago uh, and then I'll come back and join you. Fantastic. So historians reckon that about 10,000 years ago, we decided to stop roaming around the countryside and we settled down into little family groups where we did stuff like farm and raise cows. And you could imagine a freezing cold winter, summer in Northern Europe. There's not a lot of food about, your stores have run out and you look around and see that the baby cows you've been looking after are doing pretty well. Around this time, humans didn't really have the ability to drink milk without becoming poorly. So they had a good 3,500 years of not really having a good time while they were drinking it. And actually, in loads of parts of the world, that's still true. Most of us lose the ability to digest milk after we've finished weaning because we can eat other stuff. So it looks like those humans 10,000 years ago started making stuff like cheese and fermented yoghurt, all of which made milk easier to digest. Then natural selection in the Western world started favouring people who had the gene to digest milk. This might be because it was a readily available nutrient-rich food source, but another theory is that milk was a really good source of vitamin D in places where there wasn't a lot of sunlight, which makes sense why it would have developed in cold, freezing northern Europe. Fast forward to the 18th and 19th centuries when drinking milk became incredibly fashionable. Americans and Europeans started to turn away from breastfeeding and fed babies on animal milk instead. This was partly because some companies realised that they could market and advertise cow's milk to mothers as a superior product uh, and they could make money off of it as opposed to breast milk, which is obviously free. This unfortunately led to some serious problems at the time and babies began to die at shocking rates. The problem was particularly bad in Manhattan where dairies were built next to breweries and the cows were fed on leftover hops. During the 1840s, nearly half of all babies born at the time died in Manhattan. People didn't really know why this was happening, but later realised that there were germs in the milk which you can't see which had caused diseases. A guy called Louis Pasteur discovered this and found out that heating milk gets rid of the germs, which is now why most of our milk is pasteurised and safe to drink. 
Milk has weirdly gained this kind of mythic status in our diets. We're told to drink it as children to keep us strong and help our bones grow. There was political outcry when Thatcher took away free milk for kids in schools in the 80s. And today, China's leaders have held up milk as the emblem of a modern affluent society, aiming to triple their population's consumption of milk. There is a lot to unpack, but what we want to find out today is what the environmental impact of milk is currently on the planet. So I'm going to hop back on my magic cow and go and meet Ross in the present. I'm back. Yeah, how was it? Uh, Yeah, it was pretty cold uh, and a pretty bumpy cow ride back to the present. What really surprised me was that for like 3,000 years, humans were... Drinking milk, but not digesting it. They were like, oh, there's nothing else. We're going to have to drink the milk again. The tummy issues must have been awful. And then someone just came along and was like, I drank this milk and I actually feel amazing. Rockstar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, But now we're going to talk about the present. Okay. The the environmental impacts uh, that milk is having at the moment on the planet. All right. So the way I understand it is that milk is a bad thing. Oh, so that's an interesting one. I think saying that it's bad is a pretty broad brushstroke. I don't think that it is inherently bad. I think that at the moment, the dairy industry has definitely got some negative things about it. It's causing a lot of environmental impacts that I think could be mitigated by changing the way that we're producing dairy. I don't think it's all bad, but there are some things that we're doing that aren't good and that we need to change. Okay, so there's still a place for dairy We just need to do it better. We just need to do it in a different way, uh, more sustainably. And also there's a place for dairy, but there's a place for alternative milks Mm, as well. I like alternative milks. (laughs) Which we'll talk about as well. So I think that there's a kind of holistic world of dairy where you can have a little bit of everything and try what you want. Nice. But I think it's good to be aware of what actually are the environmental impacts of the thing that you put on your breakfast cereal. So that's what we're going to look at. Okay, so let's start off. What are the big issues with dairy? So... There are 264 million dairy cows in the world. That is so many cows. It's so many cows. Just try and imagine how many cows that is in your head. Kind right. of impossible. No, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's like so many Wembley stadiums. It's too many. Uh, <laughs> so basically, we have a lot of cows that we're housing, but also often these cows aren't pasture-fed, they're not grass-fed, they're being fed on grain and soya, which we have to grow somewhere else. And a lot of times to grow soya, we have to cut down forests. So we're cutting down forests to grow soya to feed the dairy cows that we're housing somewhere else, which is quite a long chain. Okay, so you've got all of those cows, like an unimaginable... number of cows but then you've got all these fields as well per cow to feed the cows yeah so just just to get the milk just to get the milk so it's kind of a long system that we're going through um, and it's also quite an intense process Uh, so a dairy cow if it's being farmed intensely only will produce a high enough yield for about three years uh, before it's sent to slaughter uh, which just shows you quite how intensely these cows are being farmed i think that Whether it's an animal or whether it's a piece of land, anything that's intensively farmed is going to have some negative environmental impacts. And that's not even to touch on the kind of ethical implications of that. Obviously, it's going to might be bad for the cow um, and their young are taken away. So I think there's a whole other discussion that people are having around um, the animal rights part of the dairy industry. Yeah, I think think that's a good point because 
Like there's the ethical issue of dairy and then there's the sustainability issue of dairy. I think it's something that gets confused a lot because they have a lot of crossover. But when we're talking about ethical issues, we're talking about things like the the rights of the workers who make your clothes. Um, so we're looking at human rights, animal rights, ethical issues, welfare issues. But looking at sustainability, dairy cows uh, produce a lot of poo and they fart a lot. Right. Uh, and in that is contained a lot of methane which is a greenhouse gas um, of so course yeah if you raise a pig or a chicken the methane produced by a cow is about 50% more uh, and a lot of the methane that is in our atmosphere right now is coming from raising cows not just for dairy but for meat as well uh, and if you mishandle the manure then that can cause problems in local water sources it can degrade the soil so it's a lot about what are you feeding your cows? If you feed them on soy and corn, they're going to produce more methane. And if you mishandle what's coming out the other end, yeah. then it can cause some problems for the local environment. Wow. So there's so many issues to pick apart of just just in this cow's life. Yeah, there's loads going on. And so- what we brushed over earlier as well is that after three years, this cow's just going to the slaughter? Yeah, so it, it does get used. So it will be used for meat. It doesn't kind of go in the bin (laughs) yeah but if they're genetically bred for milk it's not going to be the best meat yeah a lot of dairy cows go into making things like hamburgers um so you wouldn't get a steak of a dairy cow necessarily so another thing i think it's important to talk about is soil which doesn't sound very sexy or interesting but soil is incredibly important to sustain life we need soil to grow stuff and to literally sustain our entire life on earth and livestock farming is one of the main contributors to soil erosion around the world and that's because of what we've already touched on is that we're turning forests into pastures but also over grazing and impacts from cattle hooves can mean there's an extreme loss of topsoil and organic matter which takes decades or centuries to replace okay so quickly for a long time yeah and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit this because i'm learning but i thought that you could basically plant anything anywhere but there is such a thing i've learned now as arable land Woo-hoo! Right? <laughs> yeah which just basically means good land that you can grow on with vitamins in it and with stuff vitamins in it and all the things that you need to grow and really healthy soil just like a really healthy human body the thing that makes it healthy is it has loads of different diverse nutrients going into it okay so if you just grow one thing on the land then it's going to get degraded because it's not getting a kind of good mix of nutrients going into it so that's what happens when you just grow corn or you just grow soy without growing something else in between monoculture monoculture pal i'm getting so good you're getting so good at this so there's the issue we've spoken about already is that we're growing a lot of things like corn and soy which are monocultures in other places um but also there's overgrazing is an issue. Um, so they're eating everything and then it means that that land is doesn't have anything on it and Just can't be used. Useless. Useless land. Okay, so what's the alternative? Well, it doesn't have to be like this. Uh, there's loads of really sensible and sustainable ways to manage a herd of cows if you look after it properly then grazing cows on a field can actually improve soil health. Um, so it's just all about how you manage it. But the amount we're making at the moment... Are we over-consuming? Are we over-producing? What's the issue? Yeah, I think the issue, and this is an issue that we've touched on in almost everything that we've spoken about, is an issue of over-consumption. I don't think that producing dairy is bad in and of itself, but doing it in an intensive way in the amount that we're doing it causes some serious problems. 
And we haven't even started talking about alternative milks ah, yet. Ah, yeah, of course. I've noticed recently there is loads more alternatives in the supermarkets. Like from even five years ago, there's oat, there's almond, there's soy. It has exploded. Yeah. Uh, yeah, suddenly dairy is not the only option. If you don't want to drink milk, traditional milk, there's loads of different ones that you can try. Um, and I think this came about because people were actively looking for an alternative. Like I said, a lot of people can't drink milk, um, but also a lot of people are moving away from it anyway because they had some concerns. Um, So they were looking for something new and alternative milks appeared, which are things like almond milk and oat milk. Um, But not all of these milks are created equally in the eyes of the environment. Oh no, so there's even more sustainability issues tied up in the alternatives. It's always, you know, when you like start digging in something and you open the box and you realise that nothing is as simple as you thought that it was. So a lot of people may the switch from dairy milk to almond milk because they wanted to be more sustainable. Um, But you might have read it came out that actually almond milk has got some environmental issues of its own. Uh, So almonds, which come from a tree. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, where do do nuts come from? (laughs) Almonds come from a tree um, and 80% of the almonds that we eat are grown in California. Uh, But California is obviously a super, super dry place. It was in drought from 2011 to 2017. Uh, There's not a lot of water anyway, and almond trees use a lot of water. It's incredibly water intensive. It's so interesting that there was a drought during the time that actually demand for alternative milks hiked up. Shut up. up. Um, And I don't think, just like dairy, almond milk is necessarily bad by itself, but I think that like anything, if we just drink that, it's going to cause uh, an overconsumption and a demand that we can't quite meet. Another classic case of us just having whatever we want, <laughs> whenever, whenever we, we want. want it, and it having an, uh, an impact on the environment. But there are obviously loads of different ones that you can try. So what is the best alternative? So from a sustainability perspective, it's looking like the best alternative milk to go for is oat milk. Yes, oat milk's my favourite. I'm so glad you said that. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Um, So oats are mostly grown as a winter cereal and they're largely rain-fed, which is a win because it's not using loads of water. It has lower CO2 emissions. And I think I've just worked it out. Is it because oats grow in the winter and therefore you can grow it on land and grow something else in the summer. It's not a monoculture. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. Oh, yes. (laughs) But it's also being grown at a time when there's a lot of rain. So we're not having to irrigate fields necessarily. And nick the locals' water. And nick the locals' water. Uh, The only downside is that it doesn't have a huge amount of nutritional value. It's oats and water, essentially. But if you are eating a Western diet, if you are getting your nutrients from loads of other places, I don't think that's necessarily an issue. So if you still need to get your calcium, you can get it from... Kale. And... Broccoli. Lovely. (laughs) There's loads of things. I think, like all of these things, people often think that you have to make a choice to be more sustainable. So I'm not going to have dairy and I'm only going to have oat milk and that will be really sustainable. But actually, the truth is a lot more complicated than that. And often the most sustainable thing is having a variety of things that everyone can try so that we're not overproducing one kind of thing. So if you love gold top, you can have gold top. And if you want raw, unpasteurised, sustainable, organic milk, you can have that. And if you love coconut milk, you can have that. And if you like them one week and then want to try something else, you can do that. It's about producing things sustainably, producing it in sensible quantities and varying it so that we're not growing the same thing over and over again. So it's even more fun. Like, genuinely, being sustainable... Is more fun! 
fun. It's varied. And at the end of the day, the thing that we always say is that just educating yourself is the best way to be sustainable. Oh, yeah. So I think the question that I have and that a lot of you might have is what does the future of sustainable dairy farming look like? Because I honestly have no idea. Uh, so we're going to go and find out. We're going to go and visit Horton House Dairy Farm. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Uh, and they are an organic, pasture for life dairy farm. Uh, and they're an example of really like kind of the cream of the crop at the moment. So the best of the best producing dairy sustainably. We're going to go and find out what changes they've made, how they do it and how it makes the process more sustainable. Great. Let's right? go to the future of farming. Woo! Go see some cows. We have just driven down from London to a beautiful farm called Horton House Farm. We're here with Johnny and Rachel, who have had the farm for generations, uh, and Nick, who helps them with their business. We're going to try and find out why this is more sustainable and a little bit about what they've got going on around the farm. It is beautiful. It's like the quintessential children's book image of what a farm should be. It is also really cold. Come on, girls, come on! Come on! Come on, girls, come on! They're beautiful. That's Bart. Hello, Bart. One of our pets. There's quite a few pet ones in here. Pet cows. So if we're in a field with her now, she'll be butting us and um, wanting a fuss. We have the cows primarily, but I think think there's room for other animals on the farm as well without actually compromising, compromising the cows. So... We have the pigs, which we've had for years and years, but we've just developed them to to do more on the farm. So they do they cultivate the ground, um, they keep the pastures clean as well by rooting up things. They root up weeds a bit, and they drink the waste milk at the end of milking. The, it's hard to keep the last bit of milk clean when you when you wash through the plant. So they they have that milk, um, and then we have chickens that that follow around behind the cows that um, scratch up the dung pats and keep keep the flies down. And then we have the sheep as well that graze the graze the downs and, and keep on top of the weeds, the ragwort especially. Um, it's an, a, a poisonous weed that we've got to get rid of. But also they um, they 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 eat the worm eggs for the for the cows and and they and the sheep is a dead end host for that, so that kills the worms for the cows and and the cows kill the worms for the sheep. So we don't need to worm the cattle as much. They'll eat more of the weeds and the other bits that the cows wouldn't eat. And what's the benefit of raising cows this way, so letting them graze on pasture and farming organically? Benefits to the soil, benefits to the uh, biodiversity of the farm and, and also for the cows. And um, I think as well that the milk and the meat from the cows is, is much better for you. But I think also it's a really satisfying way of farming because you've got to think your way around problems and, 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 and find sort of different techniques of doing things rather than just getting out your checkbook and buying in sort of solutions to the to, to things that have gone wrong. You've actually got to stop the things going wrong in the first place. Look at this white cow. She's she or he. She is so beautiful. She's obviously it's a she. Because you're an organic farm <laughs> You don't use fertiliser, but I'm assuming that also you don't use antibiotics, which is another thing people have been worried about in dairy farming. Yes. Yeah, so we stopped using antibiotics um, to treat mastitis uh, about 10 years ago. And the first year was probably a little bit of a challenge to to keep on top of it. We found techniques to, to, to get rid of the mastitis. And also, it's not the antibiotics are, if you had mastitis in the cow, it, 
the you use an antibiotic that it goes immediately with the antibiotic but it then comes back again two weeks later and, and you just never get rid of the problem and the cow usually ends up having to go at the end of the year whereas if you don't use antibiotics in your patient and you just find a way of treating the cow often she's got mastitis because she's a bit run down or stressed then usually it goes and it stayed away afterwards after it's gone you just have to be patient and do you find across the board do your cows tend to live longer than the average of a dairy cow i think we try and we, we replace it about 15 percent a year and we're trying to aim for 10 which is pretty difficult yeah. <laughs> to live to an average age of 10 years old but that's our aim and i think we can achieve it and i think the national average is 30 percent so replacement rate so yeah, we are way above it, but I think the main thing is when our cows finish milking, um, they've got another, they can do another job, they can rear calves for us, so they can stay on and do that, and then when they've no good for rearing calves, they stay on and have a rest for a year, and then they go as old beef at 10 or 12 years old, so I think I think we've found ways to make them last longer, you know, she's not a particularly good milking cow, and probably on a normal herd she might go next year, as go often to the butchers but she she can rear calves she'll be brilliant at rearing calves There's she other probably jobs. do that for another five years and then and then she can then have a rest and go up on the downs for a year and get nice and fat and then go off as old beef when she's finished and how yeah. do we get because obviously this is you are one of the very few farms who are operating like this in the uk so how can we start spreading this kind of farming and making it more mainstream i don't know i suppose people just hear more about it and I think there's a lot of young people that are keen I think there's a whole generation of young people who actually don't want to sit on tractors and and they want to start farming and the only way they can start farming is by farming like this because they don't need to buy lots of equipment and it's also and I think people with a young family they're keen to farm this way because it's a safe place for children to yeah our children have been helping since they can walk on the farm. <laughs> because you've got safe. no chemicals no you're chemicals, just in a paddock no big machinery flying around it's, it's just the cows and they can always do a job and they can rear little calves and, and not be in any danger so and I, I guess there's a there's a level of knowledge that goes into this kind of farming which is what we're talking about where you have to know a lot about grass and you have to be developing things in a different way and using problem solving in a different way that I imagine would be super gratifying yeah it's really satisfying it's really satisfying and every year you know probably next year you write a list of things you could do slightly different and make it slightly better the following year we are literally surrounded by cows there are cows everywhere all feeding on pasture coming up to sniff out who we are it's beautiful i think it shows that this is a way that farming can be done really sustainably it is a small scale i don't know what needs to be done to mean that this could happen on a larger scale to give everyone the milk that they need but for this it's beautiful nick i wanted to ask you a couple of questions so i have been reading in the news a lot about dairy farming being a difficult industry in england it's quite financially stressful for farmers so how do you make a business like this sustainable but also economically sustainable yeah for the consumers the sort of ethically minded consumers who are, who are looking for to make better choices um farms like horton house and the ethical dairy who we're working with um you know the story of what these guys are doing i think fits perfectly with those types of consumers it's then a, the challenge is then to, is, is to you know get the, the products to those consumers in a and, and build your own little su- small supply chain that can 
can uh, deliver those products to those consumers and obviously keep it all working uh, economically and keep it fair for, for everyone involved. So you know, the farmers, the people working in the chain, and then uh, you know to consumers at a price that, which is you know uh, acceptable. So that's the challenge. So, so what should people be looking for if they want to drink milk but they want to make sure that it's as sustainable as it can be? What should they look out for in the shops? As a parent myself, you know, we would always try and buy organic <laughs> because that gives you that assurance that it's it's free from some of the uh, stuff you don't want in your food. And then pasture for life, you know, is the sort of gold standard, if you like. You know, pasture for life and organic, we all, we all believe is the gold standard. However, pasture for life does have a job to get the message out and that rosette and the certification isn't mainstream yet and that's where we need to, we need to get to. So um, for the consumer, I would say organic is, the, is your starting point because grass-fed doesn't really carry the sort of integrity that it needs to. So grass-fed might mean that they're fed on grass for a bit, but they're not fed on grass for very long at all, potentially. Yeah, I think yeah, grass-fed is... Um, because everyone knows grass-fed's better, you know, then it's going to be, unfortunately, sort of exploited commercially. You know, when the consumer thinks about the meat they're buying or the dairy they're buying, they probably, in their mind, envisage cows standing in fields eating lush grass and at places like Horton House and Pasture for Life Farms that is exactly what's happening. I was going to say we're literally yeah. surrounded oh, yeah, by I mean, yeah. 100 That's, cows all eating grass. It's not often the case but you know at the point of retail the, the labelling is at the moment is not clarified and it can be very confusing it's, it's, it's difficult for the consumer but Pasture for Life certainly um, would be the gold standard. Well that was lovely but I think it's time for a cup of tea. Thank you very much to Horton House Farm for having us. I love cows. They were so nice. They're we had so a, cute. We had a right nice time. Uh, that's all that we have time for today. That's everything. If you have any questions about dairy, then send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Five stars, please. And we will be back next week when we're going to be talking all about bees. Bees. What about bees? Mate, there's so much to talk about bees. Everyone's really worried about bees. They're cute as well. They're, they're adorable. Uh, we're going to be talking about bees, about biodiversity and finding out what has happened to the bees and what a decline in population means for us. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll see you next Thursday. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye. Bye-bye.